Good morning. Well, welcome. My name is Brandon. I am the pastor of preaching and vision here at uh, at Sojourn. Um, you have walked into a unique Sunday for us where we are both uh, beginning our what we're calling an epiphany series. Epiphany just is this word that means appearing, right? And so uh, we just had Christmas. You guys remember that? Uh, we had Christmas, and so Christ has appeared, and now uh, we walk through the life of Christ, events throughout his life as he has appeared. So that's our um, our Epiphany series. And uh, today is also uh, one of our baby dedication Sundays. And so if you are a family or friend, let me just say welcome. Uh, if you are a parent out there holding one of the babies, uh, let's just break the ice right now. All right, they are going to scream. Let them scream. All right, mine is going to lead the charge right over here. It's okay. That's their job. It's what they do. And so um, let them make all the noise they need to make. All right, let's get started. Um, as you know, we've just come off of this, uh, this holiday season. And throughout the holiday season, it's, it's pretty normal for there to be a series of articles written about Christianity. Now, some of the articles are going to affirm Christianity, uh, and some are going to challenge Christianity. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was an article written in Newsweek um, and yes, people do still read Newsweek, uh, that was really challenging the core of Christianity. And, and let me just say this. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you which one it was. If you're interested, come ask me afterwards, and I'll, I'll point you in the right direction there. Uh, but in this article, he, he raised legitimate questions and problems that I have with Christians, all right? Understandable issues that I have. But he, he tried to address some of the, the core uh, tenets of our Christian faith around the Christmas holiday, the Christmas season. Um, and and uh, without going into the details of it, I just want to highlight one thing that's pretty relevant, I think, for us. Um, what's relevant for us is that in this article, it was really clear uh, that, that very little interaction with firsthand sources actually took place. So the author uh, interacted very little with the Bible itself, and he interacted very little with Christians um, that weren't crazy, all right? And so, if that's a fair way of saying it, I don't know a better way of saying it. I might get in trouble for that, but that's who he dealt with. And at, at points, it was pretty clear that, that he had more awareness of the Da Vinci Code than the Scriptures, all right? And here's why I bring this up. Here, here's the point. He, he was, this author, challenging Christianity based on a second-hand understanding of Christianity, And a second-hand understanding of Christianity is always going to be a cultural version, but not Christianity itself. And so the reason I wanted to highlight this for us is because the truth is, if we're honest, many of us, many of us have walked in here with a second-hand understanding of Christianity, with a cultural version of what Christianity is, which might have reflections of the real thing, but isn't the real thing. And our prayer is that you might be willing, that you might be willing to engage our text today, to engage this little two-verse text that we're in today, that if you're willing to engage this, this first-hand account, this primary source account of Christianity, that maybe, just maybe, you might have your understanding of who Christ is and what the church is both deconstructed and reconstructed. And if it happens, if, it, if you're willing to engage and you're willing to let it deconstruct and you're willing to let it reconstruct, 
that you might see Jesus and you might see the church in a new light. You might stop seeing the church as a place that's just trying to control moral behavior of its people. And you might begin to see it as a worshiping community. And so here's what we're going to see. We're going to see three things. This, this worshiping community, this worshiping family. We're going to see the church as a worshiping family. We're going to see the church as a family of families. And then we're going to see it as a, as a countercultural family. So I'm going to read our text again, and then we're going to get started deconstructing. All right, Matthew 2, 1 and 2. Here's our text again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, uh, two things that this, that this will deconstruct. The first thing it will deconstruct is that the Bible is unreliable. All right, this, this story that we just read, it, it involves um, astrology that cannot be proven, right? So the, the thesis of this little story is that there were these magi, these wise men who, um, who saw the star and they followed the star to Jesus. And this is something that cannot be verified. And so the question is, okay, Brandon, why in the world would you then say that this helps the case for the Bible being credible? Here's why. Because obviously... Brandon, wouldn't this sound more like something that the early church would have just written in? No, Here, here's why. One, the early church was trying to distance themselves from both magic and astrology. They, they were not trying to insert stories about magi. They would never have done this in the church. And then, and then Matthew, Matthew, he's, he's writing, right, he, about these wise men, these Magi that were not Jews, they were Gentiles. And Matthew, who is uh, writing as a Jew, about a Jew, to Jews, would have never inserted at the foundation of the story of the gospel these Gentiles if he didn't believe and know that it was so widely accepted as true that he had to put it in there. It lends credibility to the Bible being credible. And then the second thing, the second thing it deconstructs is that Christianity is a, is a religion of rules. All right, so many of us, many of us, we, we, we came in here, we walked in today, whether we've been in the church forever, or we've believed in, not forever, you haven't been around forever, but for a long time, um, or you're new to Christianity, you, many of us walked in believing that, uh, that the church and Christianity is about rules to follow. It's a religion of morals, right? So I grew up uh, in a very agnostic home. Uh, we didn't talk about Jesus in my home, but I went to a private Catholic school uh, growing up, and I, I'm very grateful for my time there. I, I grew up my entire life believing Jesus equals God is true. But I also grew up believing that the role of the church was to kind of control moral behavior, and that the church was meant to be a people of, uh, of morality. That's who we were. That's what Christianity was. But is that how the Magi thought of it? All right, these Wise men, when they, when they thought, when they were looking for Jesus, when they're following this star, were they trying to find a new moral code? Let's look at verse 2. We get the answer. It's right here. It's so clear. It's on the surface. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Were the Magi looking for a new moral code not even close? These men who clearly knew the scriptures, they clearly knew 
the Old Testament. They knew at the heart of it. When they looked into the Old Testament, and they knew their rules, right? They can, they can, read, they can read the commandments. They, they know the rules, but they knew at the heart of the Old Testament was a religion of worship. That what God was after from beginning to end was a people who would come to him and pour out their worship over him. That the essence of our faith is a faith built on worship. And here's why this is such a, just such a great firsthand account of Christianity for us. That these magi who knew the Bible, right? They knew how to get inside of a text. They knew how to, to trace the narrative. They knew how to understand and put the Bible together. This Old Testament search for a Messiah. They, they knew how to connect the dots toward this king of the Jews. And so if these men who, who knew the scriptures and knew how to connect the dots of the Bible, here's what I want to know. This is what's relevant for us today, I think. I, I want to know what they would have thought of when they looked at the scriptures, when they looked at the Old Testament. What did they think of when they thought of family? Right? Because remember, where, where are they? Where are they? They've come to search for a baby who was born into a family. This little child born into a family. And so I want to know, what did they think of when they thought of family? And so these men who knew the scriptures, if we were to trace the narrative of the Bible, here, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see Genesis 1 and 2, that God creates a family. Genesis 3, sin enters the world through a husband and a wife. Genesis 4, the first murder takes place between two brothers. Genesis 12, God, God calls Abraham to leave his family, to go establish a new family that will be a blessing to all families. And then we fast forward into the New Testament, Matthew 1, and this Messiah has come. This blessing is here. He has appeared. He has epiphanied. He's here. He's left the eternal family of the Father, Son, and Spirit, entered into our world to redeem us into a global family. And this global family is a worshiping family. It's a global family worshiping family who gather together across and around the globe in these little pockets of worshiping families. Anybody want to give her a hug right now? <laughs> we gather together in these little pockets of worshiping families around the world. And if you see this, if you see the church like this, it will completely reconstruct how you see Christianity and how you see the church. You see the church not as a people of control, but a people about worship. You see the church as a people and not a place. You'll see the church as a gathering and not a building. All right, so in um, probably February, March, we're going to have some renovations done on our building, which we're excited about. We'll have a much a uh, better childcare space in the back for uh, for the the plethora of children the Lord is bringing to us, which we we love. Um, but during those two months, we're going to have to meet somewhere else. Right, we're not going to be able to gather here on on Sundays. We're going to have to meet somewhere else. We'll give you more details uh, in the in the coming weeks. But here's what I want to say to our church. Uh, I want to say this to our church that that when we have to meet somewhere else, listen, we are we are not homeless for those two months. We're not even displaced for those two months, right? Where we are, where we gather, our church is. 
So my, my wife uh, is here. Wherever my wife is, that's where home is. Right, so we live in an apartment over on Yale Street. Um, that apartment on Yale is not our home. Right, my, my home is where my wife is. That's my home. Where we are, that's our home. Where we are, that's where our church is. Where we are, that's where our worshiping family is. Our worshiping family is not defined by these buildings, by these walls. It's only one building. Plural is not accurate. We are a worshiping family. And within that worshiping family, our children are raised. That's what we mean when we say, our second point, that we're a family of families. And our, our hope and our prayer and our dream for our children inside this worshiping family is not morals. It's not behavioral modification. Our hope and our prayer our hope and our prayer for our kids is that they would come to Jesus as the Magi came to Jesus, as these wise men did, and they would come and say, where is Jesus? I have come to worship him. I sat there this morning uh, on my couch, glancing over the notes with my three-year-old on my right, five-year-old on my left, snuggled up, asking me to read to him, so I got to have a run-through. It was great. It never happens. And I hit this spot right here, and I just, our prayer is not that our kids would just learn morality, but that they would come to be these little worshipers of Jesus. And don't misunderstand me, our kids have rules. All right, my kids have these bunk beds, uh, and once a day, we find my three-year-old son climbing up the outside of the bunk bed, trying to jump off of it to the couch on the side of the room when we hear, boom, explosion of tears. Like, my, my son needs rules. He needs rules to keep him safe. They are good, and they are right, and there's consequences when you don't follow daddy's rules. But my goal for my kids is not that they would just learn to follow daddy's rules, but that they would become these little worshipers of Jesus who would grow up and to be, become these big worshipers of Jesus. And so here's what we're doing when we have these baby dedications. We, we're coming together collectively and corporately, and we're saying together, oh God, do in them what only you can. Oh, oh God, do in them what only you can. Make them into worshipers. That's your work. All we can do is put the grace of God all around them. Keep them within the, the family, this worshiping family, but you have to ignite the flame. And so we're pleading and praying, oh God, make them in to worshipers. That's what we're doing. And so I want to I want to invite the parents and the children to come forward. Um, that's now. You can go ahead and stand up and come on down. You're gonna line up right here. And while they do, I want to tell you guys what's I want to tell you guys what's happening, what we're what's about to happen. I'm about to hand a mic over here and we're gonna pass the mic down and um, and all the parents are going to introduce themselves one after another. Uh, and then after that, and their children, uh, then I'm going to ask them a series of three questions. And they're going to respond with, we do and we ask God to help us. And then I'm going to turn, church, and I'm going to ask you a question. And I, I'm going to ask you a question, and then you're going to respond collectively. Um, we, we do and we ask God to help us. And then after that, one of our pastors 
how we're going to welcome them into the family. Dodds is going to pray for them, and we're going to, we're going to cheer. We're going to, I would say, Texans-style cheer, but their season is over, so it's going to be Cowboys-style cheering. I don't want to hear it. Big day for me today, all right? And I saw, I saw the Bengals jersey over here earlier. Um, I was hurt by that. All right. My name is Michael O'Reilly. This is my wife, Cassie, and our son, Camden James. Uh, my name is Andy Powell. This is my wife, Andrea, and this is Titus. My name is Colin Gallagher. This is my wife, Nicole, our son, Jamie, and daughter, Claire. Uh, my name is Mark, and this is my wife, Ashley, and this is Eliana, or Ellie, and then Owen. I'm Gabriel Terrell, and this is Morgan, and my wife, Jacqueline, and our son, Isaiah. I'm Chris McGee, and this is my wife, Kate, and our son, Hyde Matthew. I'm, I'm Drew, this is Amber, um, this is Adeline Esther Knowles. This is my wife, Amanda, and our uh, little baby, Amelia. I'm Jake. This is my wife, Whitney, and our son, uh, Noah. This is my wife, Robin, and this is Susanna McKenzie-Entz that we're dedicating this morning. Hi, I'm John Nichols, and this is my wife, Trina, and she's holding Adeline, and I'm holding Elia. Hi, I'm Anthony, and this is my wife, Michelle, and we're dedicating our baby, Gladys, here. Morning, everybody. I'm Dodds. This is my wife, Kimberly, our daughter, uh, Abigail Elizabeth, and this is Penelope Jane. Okay, parents, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these three questions to you, uh, and, and after I do, after each one, you're going to respond with, I hope we do, and we ask God to help us. Do you acknowledge your child's need of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? With more enthusiasm next time, all right. Do you aspire to steward God's covenant promises on their behalf, depending expectantly on grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation? Much better. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before them a godly example, that you will pray with and for them, that you will teach them to the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right, church. Do you, with enthusiasm, all right, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of their child? We do. Yes, God help us. So good. In light of the parents' confession and your confession, let's welcome them into our sojourn family. Sojourn, will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for families. Thank you for marriages. Thank you for children. Father, we know that you are, God, the epitome of all these things. You dwell with son and spirit. Lord, you are the perfect family, and you are, Lord, you are the true covenant keeper and the most faithful husband, and you are an obedient and faithful child as you came to live and die to ransom, Lord, your children back to you. 
Father, today, we want to honor you, the author of all these things, because God, even though that we enjoy these things, you are even greater. Your love is greater than life. God, we pray that you would glorify yourself through the lives of these parents, through the lives of these children, that they may be raised to know you, to love you, to fear you, to enjoy you, to worship you. And Father, it is our sincere prayer, Lord, that because salvation belongs to you, that you would save them, that you would draw them to yourself, and that you would make them your own. Father, we love you. We pray that you would make them strong and brave. Pray that you would make them gentle and courageous, wise and kind. And God, that you would give them an incredible appetite for your spirit and your word. Lord, glorify yourself today. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would capture their hearts, capture their minds, capture them fully, that they would know, know you, love you, live for you, worship you all the days of their life. Lord, we love you and thank you and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. While they're headed back to their seats, let me let me just tell you what we dream about for our, our kids. We, I, I was, I'm 36, 37 on Monday, so that's depressing. Um, I didn't mean to offend anybody. I'm just laying my heart bare, all right? Um, and I, I was 22 when the Lord redeemed me. I, like I said, I grew up in an agnostic home. We, uh, we didn't talk about the Lord. We didn't. Um, the Lord wasn't part of our life, uh, and and then a couple decades in, the Lord sent these men into uh, into into my life who had introduced me to this God man Jesus who loved us and died for us, and they shared this consistent story of the gospel with me, and um, and then one day, just radically out of nowhere, the Lord intervened, and and my prayer, my my prayer, our prayer is that. That would be the story of none of our kids. That would be the story of some. But the story that we're praying for is that when our kids are 36, about to be 37, that, that someone would say to them, hey, how'd you come to know the Lord? And they would say, man, you know what? I just, I just don't remember a day when I didn't love Jesus. I just don't even remember the day. I mean, I'm sure the day was there. I just don't remember it. That's our prayer. Our prayer is that they would grow up and they would fall in love with the one that this worshiping family worships. And they wouldn't remember a day when they didn't believe. And so let me close five minutes, five minutes talking about this family of families that we're in now and how it is a counter-cultural family. Looking back into Matthew 2, it says these, these wise men from the east that came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? This is, I've already said it, this is Matthew who is a Jew declaring the king of Jews is here writing to Jews. And so you would, have, you would have thought logically, right, logically. He's trying to show him as the Jewish Messiah. You would have thought logically he'd have had a pretty exclusive cast of characters. But he doesn't. He, he includes these wise men, these non-Jews at the beginning, at the foundation of the story of his gospel. And here, here's the counter-cultural reality. Here's the first counter-cultural reality this brings, that the, that Christianity and the gospel, it is both. It is both radically inclusive and radically exclusive at the same time. We are radically 
exclusive in that only those who come under the rule of Jesus, only those who look to the cross with worship can bear the family name and we're radically inclusive in that anyone and everyone is welcome. Now there is no one in this room whose background is so far, whose current, whose present life is such a train wreck that the grace of God isn't available for you, that you can't come under the family name and the banner of the blood of Jesus. There is no one who is not welcome to the cross. And then countercultural reality to this gospel, this gospel that creates this worshiping family, it takes people from very different cultures, very different races, very different backgrounds, and brings them together under one banner, the banner of the blood of Jesus. It's a one worshiping family. 20 years ago or so, there was this horrific genocide in Rwanda. Horrific genocide in Rwanda. And today, 20 years later, because of the, the wounded space that that genocide created, this open door for the gospel of reconciliation to enter in, today in Rwanda, story after story after story of people gathering together in a worshiping family where this man killed this man's brother and they call each other saints and pray for one another. The gospel brings about reconciliation between people. And at Sojourn, we are not going to be a people unaware of cultural realities and the cultural realities that we live in. And so regardless of where you land on the recent events that have happened, wherever on that spectrum you you might be, what is clear is that our, our country and our city still have a significant need for racial reconciliation. And so in January, we're entering into a long conversation about how we can be agents of reconciliation, how we can be gracious, loving, servant-hearted agents of reconciliation in our city. And I'm not separating, and we're not separating this this racial reconciliation conversation from the larger conversation of human dignity. Um, we will have more conversations about other areas of, uh, of concern or other areas that we need to have conversations about when it comes to the innate human dignity that all of humanity has through our different avenues in 2015. But here's what we're doing to begin the conversation with racial reconciliation. This week, part of Acts 29, having a week of prayer and fasting. And so we we're going to take our first Monday prayer, which is tomorrow night, 7 o'clock in this room. And if you're, if you're a sojourner or not, be, be here in this room. We, we gather together, sojourn heights, sojourn Montrose. We come together and we pray. And this is a sweet time where we gather together and as this worshiping family cry out together to God on behalf of each other, on behalf of our neighborhoods, on behalf of our city. And we're going to devote the night to racial reconciliation tomorrow night. And then our parish gatherings this week, they're going to have part of the time devoted to um, a time of uh, scripture and prayer over racial reconciliation. And then Friday night, Sojourn Montrose is going to open up their doors from 7 to 9 for song and scripture reading. That's this week. And then the second thing we're doing, January 28th, in this room, um, <coughs> we're having a forum. We're having a racial reconciliation forum, and we'll give more details to, to come about it, but here, here's what we're doing and here's, here's why we're doing it. And all of our parishes that week are gonna shut down and they're all gonna come together for our 
um, for our racial reconciliation forum instead. And, and we're trying to posture ourselves as a people of humble learners. And we're not coming in here to say, this is right, this is right, you're wrong, I'm right. We're coming in to say, help me learn. We're posturing ourselves. And this is, this is not me saying, hey, listen, you're going to come as a humble learner and learn from me. This is me saying we are together coming in and we're going to enter in and we're going to be a people of humility who learn, who empathetically enter in to one another's lives. And we're going to do this through a myriad of topics. The first one is racial reconciliation. And our prayer, our hope, is that our church family, this worshiping family might reflect the glory of our Savior, might reflect the culture of this kingdom that we've been called into under the rule and reign of the King of the Jews. That we might offer an alternate society to the society that we live in, one where all of humanity is valued, all of humanity is loved. Or we might take this radically exclusive and radically inclusive gospel. We might lay it bare and lay it open to our city, saying, come and taste, come and see. No matter the background, no matter the past, no matter your race, no matter your socioeconomic status, all are welcomed. All are welcomed under the banner of the blood of Jesus. Let's pray.